0: We're continuing our series this weekend entitled Friend of God. And this is part two of a message I started two weeks ago, entitled What kind of friend is God? What kind of friend is God? And and I gave you the four points that we'd be discussing. In the first part, we talked about the fact that God is a talkative friend. But he's not just talkative, he's a lover. And I'm sure some of us were a little bit stretched by that terminology. If you're stretched by the fact that God is a lover, your mind will probably explode when we get to point number three. Because what we're going to start, this message, part two, talking about is the fact that God is a stalker. (laughs) Okay? And this, I don't have enough time, I wish I did, to go through all of Psalm 139. I'm not even going through part of what I consider to be the best part. In part, because I think I've probably preached on this chapter of the Old Testament just about more than any other chapter in the Old Testament over the last decade here. And so I know for some of you, uh, it's redundant. And so I'm not gonna cover everything. I'm actually just gonna cover the first six verses. But I wanna read you one verse, verse six, before I even take you through Verses 1 through 5. David says, now remember, this won't make sense to you because I haven't read you what comes before it, but just I want to draw attention to what he says in verse 6. Such knowledge. What knowledge? What I just told you about in the previous five verses. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. Now, Here's one of the problems I have with the way many of us read the Bible. We read it like it was boring. Like the way King David might have said this was, wow, that's great. <laughs> what I just told you, isn't that just really great? Isn't that information wonderful? Yeah, I don't think that's at all how he said it. I hesitate to tell you this story, but yesterday, I was in my office back here, just going through the message and going through this first five verses, and uh, I've, I felt something I've, I don't think I ever remember feeling alone with the Lord. I've cried plenty of times. But that doesn't surprise you. If you've been here two weeks, you know I'm a crier, uh, because that means you've seen me cry two out of two weeks if you've only been here two weeks. But I just, I was going through this, and I, I don't even know what it was. I just, it's the closest thing to feeling undone I've ever felt. And this might shock you when I tell you, but what I sensed, I, I just felt God pushing in on me. Where it was like it got a little bit hard to breathe. It, it, it just, he was pushed, he was coming so close, I just felt him pushing and this might shock you, what I'm about to tell you. And, and I just felt my mind, if, if I was focused on the first five verses. And I let the cat out of the bag, essentially God knowing me. And I just started weeping, because what I felt like he was saying, he started saying things about me that only he would know. And the first time, I, I just said, please stop, no more, no more. I've never said that to him before. I I was so undone and he kept going. And I mean, I, I had a hoodie on, I literally covered my face and said, please, no more. And he just kept coming in closer. And I know for some of you, you might think that that's a weird experience and it's okay if you think that. I just want you to know, if, if this is your church home, I pray things like this, that you would experience that all the time. The nearness of God in such a way. I mean, how, how do you think you might feel when the God of the universe draws near to you? Do you think it would be the same feeling you have when you drive through the drive-thru? Oh, hey. Thank you. I don't think so. What is it you think is happening around the throne right now? Oh, hey, isn't he great? No, (coughs) they're undone. And I want to be undone for eternity. And when David says what we just talked about in the first five verses, it's just too big for me to wrap my mind around. Yesterday was the first moment I've had since I started this friend of God journey where I said to the Lord, I don't think I can write this book because I can't do you justice. I can't, I, I, I can't articulate you. I can't articulate what I'm feeling right now. What's funny is David says in verse six, he's like, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. And then he goes on many more verses. <laughs> But I just want to show you what had him so undone. Here's the first thing starts in verse 1 that he knows me. Psalm 139 verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Okay, I want to illustrate using two different translations, the NIV and the NLT. The NLT I kind of frequently use. The NIV, it's a good translation of this verse. I think the NLT is possibly the best translation of this verse. But the way the NIV translates it is, God, you know me. So I wanna illustrate two different types of knowing. All right, here's the first type of knowing, to know of someone, right? Like, just imagine you were in a huge room with hundreds of people, and everyone was there to watch the President of the United States give a speech. The President comes in, steps onto the stage, looks out into the crowd, and sees you. And in the middle of the speech, gets distracted and says, I know her, and points at you. What do you think everybody in the room would be thinking in that moment? Wow, that's impressive. Not only does he know her, he stopped his speech to tell us he knows her. Listen, you've probably been around people who name drop. Ever been around somebody like that? Where they tell you that they know someone impressive? Okay, that's not impressive. Here's what's impressive. When someone who is impressive says that they know you, that's impressive. To people. The president said, I know you. People would be like, I must get to know her because apparently she's important. Someone impressive and important knows her. Okay. That's one way of knowing someone. I don't think this is what scripture is actually talking about though. That God just kind of walks by and, and sees you and goes, oh, I know her. Like it was a Seinfeld episode. I don't think that's what David is trying to describe. I think he's trying to describe one of the most mind-blowing revelations. Isn't just that God knows you. It's how God knows you. Let me show you how the NLT translates this. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. Please don't be somebody who reads the Bible like it's just words. They're his words. God, you know everything about me. This word in the Hebrew is the word yada. Yada. It means to know, but it doesn't mean to know of, it means to know intimately. This is why in the Old Testament, Scripture would say like this when it talked about a husband and wife having sexual relations. They knew one another. They knew one another in the most physically intimate of ways. That's what Scripture is communicating. Okay, what I believe King David is trying to describe isn't that God knows of you, he knows everything about you. Okay, let me try and illustrate this. What, how this might hit you, how it should hit you. Okay, imagine, you think you're a nobody. You think you're very unimportant, yet you convince someone to marry you. Let's pretend your name is James Preston Morrison. And you convince some sweet girl to think you're a somebody named Holly Ann Campbell. But you think you're a nobody. I want you to imagine what you would feel like if the following scenario ever took place on the day of my wedding I want you to imagine Holly's in a room behind the stage and everyone helping her get ready finishes their responsibility and they leave to give her a little time alone to process I unknowingly am heading to see her but before I get to where she is the God of the universe walks into the room. And he says something like this. Hey, before you say I do, I wanna tell you some things about him. When he was seven, he had a moment that scared him really badly and he still hasn't dealt with it completely. Be sensitive when he tells you. When he was 11, he made a decision he's still embarrassed about. Don't throw it in his face when he tells you about it. When he was 13, he read through the Bible from cover to cover. from that moment on he made a vow in his heart to become my best friend don't let anything come in between us what if god just kept going on and on and on about me about all of the private things not uncovering me telling my about-to-be wife all about me what do you think i would feel on the outside of that door I wouldn't be thinking don't tell her those things. I would be thinking this right here in a way that it would come out of my mouth. You know me. No one knows those things. God, I'm convinced you know me. You know everything about me. Please don't read verses like this and act like it's not a big deal. I would be undone if he swept into a room just to tell my about-to-be wife all about me. That's how I should feel when I read these verses. It should not be lost on you when you read the words, God knows everything about you. God doesn't just know everything about you. Go deeper into his why behind it. God doesn't know everything he knows about you, which is everything there is to know about you, because he knows everything about everything. He knows what he knows because of the love with which he loves you. God knows what he knows, not because of intellect, but because of interest. The God of the universe is infinitely interested in you, and that is why he knows everything about you. It's worth snotting out of my nose for. I don't care. I told the Lord yesterday, I've never felt something like that before and I think it might have changed the way I see preaching for the rest of my life. I realized yesterday, I will never, ever, 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 ever be able to accurately communicate Him, ever. And it doesn't matter if you go home and you watch a message I preach multiple times. It doesn't matter. What matters is what he does with you and in you in the moment when he's talking to you. I don't care how many views it gets. I care how it changes the way you see him when we come together to talk about him. He knows everything about you not because of his perfect intellect, but because of his perfect interest. Here's the second thing, he sees me. This is the second thing that had David undone. Verse two, you know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts. He's still talking about being known. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Watch verse three. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. He gets back to knowing. You know, intimate language, you know everything I do. But he throws in here, you see me. God isn't staring at you to catch you. Please don't believe that lie. He is staring at you because he's captivated by you. That's Psalm 32, verse 8. With my loving eye, I will guide you. He says, not my policeman's eye to catch you, even though he sees everything I do, even when I do wrong. That's not his why. His why behind always staring at you is the fact that he is eternally captivated by you. Look in verse 13 if you're in Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. We could camp out there, but I don't have enough time. I've told you this before. God did it himself. You are his workmanship. He did not delegate fashioning you. He did it himself. Thank you, David says, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Watch verse 15. You watched me. You didn't just form me, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Have you ever thought about the difference between seeing and watching? Seeing could mean that he just notices. But think about it, when you're driving down the highway, someone in the car with you says, did you see that? What they're asking is, did you notice that? I love that David doesn't just say, you see me, twice. It's an Oreo sandwich. You see me, you see me, and in the middle, why do you see me? Because you watch me. You watched me. Think about this. We just had the Super Bowl. And maybe you walked into the, the room where everybody watches TV in your house. And if you're married, your husband's planted on the couch. Watching, right? He's not occasionally seeing, he's watching. She's watching the game, right? What's the difference between watching and seeing? Watching is seeing without stopping. He did not just form me in my mother's womb. He watched every bit of it. Because he's always watching. I don't have enough time to go through this, but I know you've heard the word narcissist. It's a terrible word, and it's a terrible thing. Narcissists essentially need everything to be about them. Here's what I actually believe. There should not be such a thing as a Christian narcissist. Because when you realize the God who sees you always sees you because he's always watching you, because he's captivated by you, you don't need anybody else to see you. I'm about to do a leader's cut for this next week. It, probably entitled, Don't Tell Me You're a Leader If. And one of the things is, you love the stage because everybody's looking at you. You do understand this is the worst part about my job, right? The best part of my job, don't tell anyone this, I get paid to spend time alone with the creator of the universe. <laughs> don't tell anyone. Whatever you do, don't tell the elders. I am stealing money. Someone pays me to go into an eight by eight room and be alone with the God of the universe. See, narcissists who follow Jesus don't understand just how much God actually loves them. Because if they did, they wouldn't be narcissists. They wouldn't need everything to be about them. This is one of the things I learned playing basketball growing up. The Lord helped me understand this when I became a senior pastor. Because one of the things I had to learn to deal with was all the negativity, the criticism. I don't know if you know this, humans are opinionated. (laughs) I also don't know if you know this, and they think they're always right. And they don't realize they're always standing next to God. And yet they want to tell you what they think, even if he doesn't agree with it. But I had to learn how to deal with this, because it just happened all the time. Pastor, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with what you did. I don't agree with the decision you made. I I get it. I don't want you to agree with everything. I'm just telling you. I had to learn how to deal with people criticizing me, telling me I was this, telling me I wasn't that. Here's how the Lord did it. He goes, Preston, do you remember when you were in high school playing basketball? You remember how much the opposing team's fans hated you? And it brought a smile to my face. I was like, yes, Lord, I do remember. They only hate you if you're beating their team. Remember what they would say about you? Some of it. Preston, I want you to imagine if I was sitting next to them and you looked at my face while they were screaming obscenities at you, and you saw an immeasurable smile on my face, which would you pay more attention to? Like that. I was set free from pleasing people. Like that. I'm gonna tell you something, maybe I've never told you before. I don't really look at your face when I'm preaching. I look at his. Even and especially when you don't like what I'm saying. And as long as he's smiling. Now, every once in a while, he does get grieved. I had to reshoot something. An entire episode of the leader's cut. Because when I got to the end of it, I felt that little feeling in my stomach and the Lord went, it's too strong. That's gonna land in such a way where it hurts the intended target reshoot it, Preston. He wasn't pleased. Okay, no problem. Do you know what it would change in your life if you would stop staring at the screaming fans in the stands and got a revelation that the God of the universe sees you at all times? I don't need you to tell me I had a good game. I love you. I'm gonna tell you something else. I'm telling you all kinds of things I've never told you before. I don't really listen to you that much when you tell me it was a good message. Here's why. I'm not doing it for you. It's very sweet. And I get it. It's, It's one of the ways that a lot of people tell me they love me. I get it. But you have to understand, I can't do it for that. Because then I'll start putting you first. I just want to see that look on his face. Okay. Which do you pay more attention to? The belittling of the opposing fans or the affirmation of your team's fans? Or the smile on your father's face? Even when he chooses not to use words. He sees me. He sees you. Oh, one of the things he reminded me of yesterday. When there was somebody special in the stands, which for me, that typically back then involved a girl that I liked. When there was someone special in the stands, what would you do? You would game up, right? When there was someone special in the stands, you wanted to play your best here's why I think we should want to game up every day of our lives. Because the God of the universe is sitting in the stands watching every single moment of our lives. He never, ever looks away. Man has the undivided attention of God at all times. Let me personalize it. You have the undivided attention of the God of the universe at all times. Here's the third thing that had David so undone. He is with me. It is easy for God to see everything I do because he is with me everywhere I go. This is verse five. You go before me and you follow me. Now, I think some of us read through scripture, we read these moments where God says to a human, like a Joshua, hey, relax, don't worry. I will be with you. Just like I was with Moses. And we kind of infer that one of the biggest points about God being with us is so that we could pull off whatever he wants to do through us. But I don't actually think that's the point. I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's the entirety of it. I'll show you Matthew chapter 28. Many of you know these words. Verse 18, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. See, we focus on, I've been given all authority. Some of us even misquote this and say, this is where we're given authority. Jesus says, I've been given all authority. So here's what I want you to do. Because of this, go to the ends of the earth baptize them all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make disciples out of them. But watch what he says at the end. And be sure of this, I am with you always. He doesn't say, be sure of this, make disciples. He doesn't say, be sure of this, I've been given all authority. He says, be sure of this, I am with you always. Jesus isn't saying, I'm with you always, buddy. He's saying, I am with you always, beloved. God promises to never leave me, not just because I need it, but possibly even more importantly, because he wants it. God isn't promising to never leave us just so we can pull off what he wants us to pull off. He never leaves us because he never wants to pull away. But Preston, it doesn't seem like God is always with me. How come? It's simple. When you're not aware God is with you, it will seem like God isn't with you. Mike, will you come here for a sec? Mike, please. I want to show this to you. It's not going to take long. We jump up here. I know you're a spry athlete. Okay, will you turn around and face that way? Am I with him? Yes or no? No? I'm not? Do we need to go through the Sesame Street episode of Near and Far? I'm not with him? I most certainly am with him. I don't even have to extend my arms to get to him. I am with him. Can he see me? Could you understand if I don't talk and I don't move and as he goes throughout his day, I just stay right here like this. Could you understand him saying God isn't with me? Does that make it true? What's the actual problem? He's not aware that I'm here. Thanks, buddy. I'll read it like this. When it seems God isn't near, it isn't because of a lack of his nearness. It's because of a lack of your awareness. (laughs) Look in verses 17 and 18. This blew my mind years ago when the Lord gave this to me. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, David says, you are still with me. I remember when the Lord dropped this like a bomb on my face. Years ago, it was early in the morning. It was before anybody in the house had awakened. I went into Riley, my oldest bedroom. She was probably about three or four at the time. Glow in the dark, blonde ringlets, glow-in-the-dark blue eyes, which I couldn't see because they were closed. And when she was growing up, with all of the kids, I would, I won't even say occasionally, fairly consistently, go in and stand over their bed and stare at them. Don't call that weird. I just showed you where I got it from. And I remember the day. I was weeping. Standing over Riley's bed. She had no idea why I was there. And I said out loud to the Lord, out of all the daddies in the history of the world, thank you for letting me be hers. And then I started to tell him all the things I love about her. She had no idea. And I'll never forget, I felt like the Lord just broke in on this incredible monologue. And said, Preston, do you realize I do this every morning of your life? And he takes me to this verse right here. And when I awaken, you are there. There has never been a morning of your life where the God of the universe wasn't standing over your bed staring at you. Remember I told you one of the reasons why God never slumbers nor sleeps? Because he wants to be ready at any time you want to talk. Here's another reason why God never slumbers nor sleeps. He's too busy staring at you all night. Don't let this be a cheesy line. God, why don't you ever blink? Because if I did, Preston it would mean I temporarily took my eyes off of you. And so I don't blink. No joke, I don't wanna keep preaching this message. I just wanna go by myself back in the back and just be alone with the Lord. I, I have a hard time understanding that this is how God feels about us, and yet he does. Have you ever wondered why heaven is eternal? I'll give you one good reason. Because his obsession is. No one on the earth is as obsessed with anyone or anything as much as the God of the universe is obsessed with you. The limitations of man limit his ability for obsession, but the limitlessness of God is the measurement of his obsession with you. Oh. you can't get that from a book, lowercase b. You can only get that from the book. So obsessed that when I awaken, you're still there. Here's the fourth thing in this two-part message. What kind of friend of God? He's a giver. I'm, I'm going to have to cut this way short, but it's Okay. If you put a marker in Luke chapter 11, let me read this to you. And I'm going to read seven verses just to make a point. Because this is a passage, I think, that gets twisted far too much. And I want to draw your attention to what I actually think the main idea of this passage is. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. says, Then, teaching them, Jesus was teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Jesus goes on, he says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open." Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Okay, I'm gonna stop there before I read verse 13. Don't read verse 13 yet. Many of us read this passage and we go, oh, this is awesome. If I just ask, I'll receive. God, I need this. You said if I asked for it, you would give it to me. I need more money, I need this car. I get it, and I'm not saying any of that is bad. I'm also, I do wanna remind you, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. I I think Jesus says this on purpose, he's trying to say, hey, I get it, you have needs, I created you with them. You can talk to me about your needs all you want, but I don't think that's what this passage is about. Being able to go to God and say, I need help with this, this, or this. Let me show you verse 13. I think this verse shows us the number one thing God wants to give us. So if you sinful people, Jesus is saying, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He's not just the God who gives us stuff. He's the God who gives us himself. He's the God who wants to give more of himself to those who want more of him. But here's the problem, most of us don't give more of God because we don't want more of God. Preston, how do you know we don't want more of God? Simply. You never ask him for more of himself. Jesus says, Oh, you want to get something from, from the Father? Ask for himself. What sense does it make to spend so much of my time on the earth asking for things I will leave behind when I leave this earth? I want a head start on eternity. I want more of him. Think about this. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he, and what did he give? He is the God who gives himself, who came himself to draw man to himself. I'm not telling you you're wasting your time going to God with your needs. He loves it. It's not bad. The question I would ask you is, what percentage of your time do you spend asking for more stuff, and what percentage of your time do you spend asking for more of him? I'm telling you, I will go to my grave convinced that what happened to me yesterday was him letting me experience more of himself than I ever have. And it was so much that I said, I can't handle anymore. I'm not going to lie. I would not be disappointed if that were a more consistent occurrence. Because I got swept off my feet yesterday. And it took my breath away, literally. I pray that over you all the time. God, take their breath away. Sweep them off their feet and take their breath away when you walk into the room. And yesterday, I was reminded he's the God that does that with me too. Why would God ever show you more of himself? Why would he ever give you more of himself? I'll give you one reason why I think. Because God has a want list. Not a wish list. A list of things he wants. I want to know one of the things at the top of his list. He wants to be known by you. Now remember, the knowledge of God is not intellectual information gathered from intellectual assent. It is intimate information received from intimate pursuit. Demons know many things about God. But the reason they'll spend eternity in hell is because they don't actually know God. They just know a lot about God. Don't settle for just being a believer in Jesus. Why do you think so many of Paul's epistles use words like this? May you be endowed with the knowledge of God. Why do you think Paul would say things in Philippians three? Like, I count everything else as garbage compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me personalize it. Preston, if you have to pick between all the stuff having all the stuff and knowing more of him. It's all garbage, bro. It's all garbage. You cannot take it with you. He is the God who wants to be known by you. Preston, how do you know that? Because he said it. Hosea chapter six, verse six. Listen to the words of God himself. I love when he lets other people talk were divinely inspired, but my favorite thing is when he just grabs the mic himself. Hosea 6, verse 6, is one of those moments. Listen to what he says. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings, There's more to this message, but I'm just gonna end with this. I started this message giving you a picture of the word know, which denotes knowing of someone. President walking into the room, remember? And saying, I know him. Then I showed you a picture of the word know in terms of knowing intimately, remember? God sneaking into the back room on my wedding day and telling Holly all of the important things she needs to know about the little boy before she says I do so she can steward the little boy the way he wants her to. Remember that? Okay, let me finish this message with another picture of the word no. The first picture of the word no, K-N-O-W, It's about someone impressive knowing you. The second picture was about God knowing you. The third picture is about God's desire to be known by you. Remember how I said I would feel if I could have heard through the door what God was saying to Holly? Remember? I would would have been undone. I would have shouted out, You know me. Have you ever paused to consider how God might feel every time someone asks you if you know him? Imagine if Holly would have said to God in that back room, do you know him? If you do, tell me all about him. When someone comes up to me and says, do you know him? I wonder if this isn't what God is longing to hear me say. Oh, do I know him? He's the one who had me undone yesterday. I couldn't even talk. If you would have been in the room, you would have been embarrassed by my behavior. He's the one who swept me off my feet at 13 the first time I started to read about him on the pages of his word. He's the one who protected me when I fell off the back of a huge height at a circus and caused me to land on my feet. He's the one in the hospital room when I was a day old when the doctor said he's not going to live, who stood there and made sure I had oxygen in my lungs. He's been with me since before I was born. He is with me now. Do I know him? Yes, I most certainly know him. And I'm going to spend forever with him. Is this how we talk about him when someone says, do you know him? You know how easy it would be to lead people to Jesus if we talk like that? But instead, this is what we do. I do know him. Would you like to hear about him? I don't want to talk like that anymore. I'm not going to be concerned for the rest of my days with what people think when I start talking about knowing him. Because again, I'm not looking at their face to see how they're receiving what I'm saying. I'm looking past them at his face. And I just wonder when I talk about him like that, if he's not peering over the balcony of heaven going, I love it when you talk like this about me. I love it, Preston. I am here for this. I silenced everyone in heaven just to listen to what you're saying about me. How have we gotten to a place where we're so sterilized spiritually? That we sound like atheists. They talk about God like he's boring because they don't believe he exists. I cannot talk about him like that. I must not. I wanna hear him shout when I get to heaven that day, that day of judgment. These are the words I want to hear him not just say. I want him to shout them. I know him. And he knows me. Welcome. Let's spend forever together.